0: Hey guys, welcome to Comedy on Vinyl. A few things up top before we get going um, with this episode, which is Daniel Weidenfeld, who is one of the executive producers of China, Illinois, on Adult Swim. Uh, it's a great show. It's on Sundays at 11.30pm on Adult Swim slash Cartoon Network. But yeah, in case you guys have been wondering, um, the uh, we've been recording just a ton of episodes, mostly people coming over here and recording... Um but there's one very special episode it's actually going to be two episodes coming up in the next few weeks. Um I got to interview Rusty Warren uh Mike came out with me and uh, we interviewed her for about an hour and a half and It was one of the most wonderful interviews i've ever participated in. It was amazing. it was fun she's hilarious still uh, that should be no surprise to anybody, but some people. Some people want to know that some people's first question is, hey, what's she like? It's like, well, she's hilarious. Uh, Frank, she's very frank and and just sweet. It's just just a great episode. Anyway, I just wanted to sort of tease that as best I could. It's coming up soon. Um, Yeah, otherwise, just enjoy this episode. Uh, Again, Daniel Weidenfeld, awesome guy, China, Illinois, hilarious show. It's on Sundays at 11.30 p.m. on Adult Swim. All right, anyway, this is a Comedy on Vinyl podcast. This week, I have Daniel Weidenfeld with me. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Of course. So, all right, first of all, let's get this out of the way. You can talk about it
1: more. and Not that I don't want to talk about it. China, Illinois. China, Illinois, we're on our second season right now on Adult Swim. Mm-hmm. Uh, we grew from these shorts that uh, I used to work at this website called Super Deluxe, yeah. um, which was Turner's way, their failed way of merging Adult Swim and YouTube together. right. Didn't work out particularly well, but it was incredible. It was an amazing experience, and I worked with some incredible people. But I met Brad Neely mm-hmm. um, over there, who was doing... He had just come off the George Washington short. I don't know if people are familiar. It huh? sort of animated, um, or it wasn't animated. These single-panel drawings edited right. together for this sort of... This rap song, fake mythology of George Washington, <laughs> how he invented cocaine and <laughs> fucked a bunch of bears. Um... And so I was a big fan of that, and then serendipitously, I started working with Brad. We were doing these shorts, Professor Brothers and Baby Cakes. Mm-hmm. Um, they were four minutes. And then, a couple years later, Adult Swim wanted to try it as a show, so we started working together on it again. Uh-huh. Did 11-minute uh, episodes for the first season, and now we're doing 22-minute episodes. That's awesome. So we're growing. That's awesome. Uh, we're halfway through the, f- the second season now. People mm-hmm. seem to really like it, yeah. hopefully... And the people on Twitter don't lie, right? They no, they're pretty uh, honest, yeah, are they? I,
0: I think that's the as honest as it
1: is. Not gets. that you should exclusively go by what strangers say online, but they've been right. shockingly supportive that's of nice. the show. That's nice. That's good. Yeah. That's, that's all. um so yeah, we air Sundays. I'm gonna uh-huh. plug it shamelessly, you just should. to start. I'll do it throughout. That's fine. Sundays eleven thirty on Adult Swim. Uh, I think we have six more episodes or five more episodes left to air. We're halfway okay. through this run.
0: D- is it weird that my expectation every time somebody from Adult Swim comes on, that I really expect them to maybe knife me or you know what I mean, get really awkward, stare at me for the whole half an hour? You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I definitely understand. I think that's something that I am joking about the knife me, but the knife, the ni- no,
1: the knife and nice. scaring and everyone who I meet just assumes we're like some deranged <laughs> lunatic, like drug addict or pothead. I don't even smoke pot anymore. I used to love smoking sure. weed all the time. It was my fa- I wish I could smoke weed. I just can't, constitutionally. <laughs> I just can't handle it. I'll start crying, or I'll run away, or I'll fall asleep. It's, it's terrible, but everyone is so surprised that we don't just get high all the time. Mm-hmm. It's like, how do you come up with this if right, we're not super right, right. high? It's like, sure. because I like to think we're creative right. people. Right,
0: yeah. yeah, yeah, I mean, it clearly comes out here. What, what would come out as a crippling <laughs> emotional, like, assault on other people if you were high is coming out Exactly. On yeah. you know, digital, I would say paper, but it's not paper. Um, so, all right, you wanted to talk about Chris Rock's Bring the Pain, which actually came up on, I'll say, yesterday's episode. I have no idea what order these are going to go up in, but we talked about it a little bit where we were talking about how my guest Omar Dorsey thought that Martin Lawrence was the first hip-hop comedian and that Chris Rock was kind of the next guy to, you know, hold that mantle. Mm-hmm. But you had a very specific reason for bringing this up. This is special to you for a particular reason.
1: Yeah. I mean, I was 15 years old at the time. It was like 1996, I believe. It was mm-hmm. November. It might have been late October, early November. Uh-huh. It was like midway through like the first semester of that year in high school. For me, I grew up in Washington, D.C. And I mean, I was the luckiest person in the world to get pneumonia this one week <laughs> where when when bring the pain, when, not, when Bring the Pain actually... Premiered on HBO oh, and I taped it like I was a huge fan of Chris Rock mm-hmm. I didn't have great expectations I don't even think I necessarily had good taste in things back then yeah. but like I love CB4 yeah. Pookie from New Jack City was like <laughs> probably one of my favorite characters ever sure. Nat X on Saturday Night Live he was he was this marginal guy to the rest of the world sure. but even though he wasn't particularly great up until I think Bring the Pain mm-hmm. really was the <laughs> genesis or the, the resurgence of his yeah. career I, I was lucky enough to like stay home I was so sick. Like, I couldn't breathe. I was coughing. It was disgusting. My mom was worried I was going to die. But for the for one week, I stayed home from school. I saw this comedy special. It was the first comedy special I think. Like there were other things. Like I loved. I was 11 years old at the time. And I loved Andrew Dice Clay just because uh-huh. he like told really filthy right. nursery rhymes. Of course, yeah. I also like yeah. silk boxer shorts. It wasn't reflective of anything <laughs> great. Um, but bring the bring the pain. Aired and I watched it every day and I got so obsessed with it and I memorized every single line mm-hmm. on this thing and you know from that special I rewatched it for the first time in like psh, probably eight years mm-hmm. yesterday yeah. just to sort of get a sense of it and it still holds up so well oh yeah I mean the best part of the m- pneumonia was actually like I didn't have to do any schoolwork right and like I. I don't know what was wrong with my high school, but like they didn't make me actually go back and relearn anything that I missed. <laughs> I had one science teacher who was must have been mentally ill, because the only thing she had me do was on the test whenever a, something came up mm-hmm. from the period of time where I was out sick all I had to do was learn how to spell pneumonia. Like, all I had to do, like, it was the easiest thing. I'm horrible at science. I can memorize to spell, like, a nine-letter word. Not even sure if it's nine letters. But to this day, I will always spell pneumonia right. So I got out of subjects, but then I also, like, memorized this this incredible special, which to me felt, like, rocky. Because yeah. I didn't know enough at the time, but, like, Chris Rock was always an okay stand-up. Sure. Yeah. But he was never really, like, a great stand-up until he came out and just, like, owned that stage. Yeah, yeah. He, Like, I've never seen someone, like even to this day Chappelle does it but in a very different way but sure Chris Rock like he it was he he was like acting up there he was Mm -hmm. was this whole new persona like even though like his use of repetition throughout this whole hour long special like it was like it was so masterful where I even think I took I I probably lost it like The way I spoke Mm -hmm. for probably four years, unknowingly after this, Uh in like this upper middle class private high school in Washington (laughs) D.C., surrounded by white people, was I was mimicking Chris Rock, (gasps) and I said these incredible, probably said these wildly racially charged things, just because people didn't know the special, right? So I started saying it as my own, and he was in Washington D.C. He recorded that in Tacoma Park, Uh so I mean. Talking The way I would talk about Mary and Barry <laughs> at 14 or 15 uh-huh. years old to, like, my high school friends was, was crazy. That's but yeah, crazy. so that was, like, the most, that was the first really important comedy special. And then right after, it was weird, like, 96 was a strange year. I just looked all this up now. I didn't even put it together. But then David Tell had this half-hour special, I think, that came on sometime in the year. And on New Year's night, I was a nerd. I stayed at home, mm-hmm. happened to catch this David Tell half-hour special and it was the opposite of Chris Rock. I mean, like, it was just abstract, absurd, right. quick punches, like, sure. like qu- one line jokes. Mm-hmm. And, like, that really formed my whole. Because Chris Rock was telling stories. Sure. He was, like, really doing it. He was properly setting up with, like, real care and grace. And mm-hmm. Dave Mattel was just, like, <laughs> you could just say a word funny. Yeah. And you would laugh. <laughs> and that half hour oh, special, I guess, remember this one joke. I mean, I don't remember enough I couldn't even find it but he had this joke I was 14 I should have been laughing about it but he just wanted everyone to be he really believed in drunk driving he just wanted everyone on the street to be drunk <laughs> yes. and then they would just swerve at the same time that's horrible that's terrible <laughs> advice but I didn't know anything and it's like, it doesn't even make any sense it's not even a particularly good joke but right. at 14 years old oh, yeah. the, the funniest thing I'd ever heard and I was like oh shit everyone should get really drunk and just start driving around. Like, I believed it. So, um, those are the first, I've had to think a lot about, you know, I don't know why as well. Like, I really, I gravitate towards, just as a fan, like, African American black comedians. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. I tend to just find that sort of humor I, I gravitate towards it. I just think, I think black people are funnier than white people. I can, I can say that, <laughs> yes, right? Is that a straight... Can, you I can th- say that. And I think there's been this amazing, you know, from Chris Rock to Chappelle, which was all... in you know, Patrice O'Neill was one of the first, maybe I'm wrong about this, but from this, like, newer, like, this most recent generation mm-hmm. of, you know, black comedian. He, w- he took it away from race a little bit. I think sure. Chris Rock, especially, like, in those first few specials when he really hit and Chappelle... Like, that was really the main focus of Patrice was just, like, angry. Yeah. And, like, you know, race was obviously a part of it. It was part of the stage persona. And mm-hmm. I was lucky enough to meet him once. Oh. Um, and I tried to get him to work for Super Deluxe. He was, I mean, he was just the most amazing, like, angry, cr- like, intense person. Yeah. But so funny and actually really sweet. Trying to get him to do something, but his special from, like, I think it was... Six years ago? Mm-hmm. Do you, do you remember? It was like a... I think it was an HBO thing. It might have been... I don't think it was Showtime. It was this, it was this comedy special where I just remember this one joke, and I'm just talking, like repeating no, people's you, jokes. you're it's allowed so, to do that. I'm sorry to everyone listening. No, no, no. But he yeah, had this one joke, which was the funniest thing I'd ever heard at the time, but it was uh He's like, I jack off so much in the shower, sometimes I just get scared that a baby hand is just going to come up from the <laughs> drain, just grab me and pull me down into it, and it was like so intense, and... Really, like, oh, my God, I believe he's actually, like, he is depraved. He also did this amazing thing where he would, like, push an audience away. Mm-hmm. He would get everybody on his side and then just start saying really horrible things to him, like, turning uh-huh. everyone in the audience against him. Yeah. And suddenly you wouldn't even realize that, like, after he pushed everyone away, he would just get you back in his good graces. Yeah. And just, like, you were—you would fall in love with him by the end of it. And you didn't even realize you were so, an- you were kind of angry at him. hmm But then he would just turn you back. Like, he was... He's probably one of my favorite comedians of all time too. That was one of the saddest things when he passed away. Sure, sure. Maybe not a, one of the saddest things, but that was like an incredibly sad moment. Of course, in, of course. In comedy. How is it okay? How
0: should we start this? Let's start this with what's what's the first thing you 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 did comedically ever? Can you remember like as in like wrote a thing, performed in a thing? Yeah, I'm trying you. to think. I
1: used to write. My brother ran this magazine. My brother's is Nick Weidenfeld. He used mm-hmm. to run development for Adult Swim. Now he's over at Fox. uh he does their late night programming that competes with SNL. Uh huh. Um, Saturday nights, it's called ADHD. Yeah. Um, animation domination, high def. But he was a journalist, and so he would go around writing for different magazines, like mostly, you know, all kinds of different places, but mostly like you know, small, like mass appeal, pop culture sort of places. Mm-hmm. There was this magazine called While You Were Sleeping that he started writing for. That was based in Bethesda, Maryland. It uh-huh. was a graffiti, graffiti magazine. It's kind of like a porno magazine, <laughs> but just—I mean, they had celebrities in it, but it was just on the cusp of yeah, yeah, being yeah. so filthy and terrible. <laughs> but it was based in Washington, so my brother was in college when he started writing for them, and then he introduced me to the guy who was running it at the time. And he, my brother, and this other guy—they had me write just articles okay. for them. And so I was—I was, was probably—I was probably seventeen years old. I didn't know anything about graffiti. Sure. And I had to interview these people and not know who the fuck they were. Oh, my God. And, I mean, it was really funny because they didn't care. Sure. But I had to interview um, Lemmy from Motorhead. Uh-huh. And one of the funniest things I think I've ever done without even realizing at the time, because I didn't know anything about Motorhead. Sure, I listened to sure. Rad, just listened to rap music pretty much up until this point. I asked him. I said, "Is it hard being so fucking old and doing this?" And he got so mad at me. Oh my well, god! It wasn't purposely comedic, and no one was there to really see how scary it was. Like it was over the phone, thank God. Oh god! But so I had yeah. to do that. To me, was probably one of the funniest things <laughs> I've ever done. Oh my god! So yeah, I mean, it wasn't uh, particular. It wasn't comedic, right? But it was. It was biting. That's
0: undeniably funny. Yeah. But I, I, and then. You know, again, one of the things I talked with Derek Beckles about on Adult Swim is, this is sort of the aesthetic of of discomfort. So, I mean, you're familiar with discomfort. Most comedians are. I just wonder what you do to channel it. If it. Or if it's just part of how you write. If that's just part of who you are.
1: I also try to... I'm the opposite in a lot of ways. Like, uh-huh. I like to disarm people for the most part by... Getting them, by making them comfortable. Yeah, I think for me personally, and how I, a lot of how I function in day to day life as well is, I really want people to be comfortable around me. I don't know sure. what kind of compulsion this is, but then I feel like then then you can manipulate you know small ways to make you can needle people yeah. once yeah. you have them on your side right. without them even necessarily even knowing about it. But I mean, I don't particularly like to make people uncomfortable. Like I probably have an anger. I probably mm. can't control my anger sometimes. Sure, not proud of that. Right, and I like to fuck with people. Of course, but I really would prefer that everyone around me. I want everyone to be happy and comfortable. It's like a strange thing. I don't know where I get it from. <laughs> I don't even know if it, it sounds like it could be this like therapy, right? Yeah, yeah, that's what it, the point of this was. So. Probably it's like <laughs> a, yeah, it's like a selfish thing in some capacity as well, where it just makes me feel better sure. knowing that everyone else. I don't need to worry about everyone by worrying about everyone so much. Right. So I didn't really answer your question, but that's okay. But yeah, I don't like. I I I I disagree with Dick. I like to make everyone so happy. Uh huh.
0: Yeah, that's no. It was really me saying the aesthetic of discomfort, and him probably just kindly agreeing with me. But so
1: you are. But so you're. If you don't mind me turning the tables on you, that's fine. So you're a stand-up comedian. I'm not a stand-up. but I'm a writer. Oh, you are a writer. Writer. I thought you were also a stand-up. No,
0: I have not the balls to do
1: that. So yeah. So okay. So so my question is this: Then Mm -hmm. how did you get so into the idea of These comedy records, where it's like it's, there's still performance. I assume Mm -hmm. that maybe there was a connection between not like
0: that. But I mean, if you look on the wall, you'll see in order generally. Actually, yeah, in order my influences. It starts out with Weird Al. Again, I'm not a musician, but Cheech and Chong is a big one. Mm -hmm. I, I love sketch. I love audio sketch. You smoke a lot of weed? No, once ever. Wow, once ever. I I'd do it again, but you know it's, I'm not a. It's hard to it. find. Defi-
1: it's hard to find in Los Angeles. I know
0: it's impossible. <laughs> but yeah, that's the thing. It's like sketch. I love audio sketch is my favorite thing of all time, mm-hmm. which is weird because nobody does it, nobody buys it, nobody produces it.
1: It leaves so much more to your imagination. Those old radio plays. For and, sure. You know, working animation, I can I experience that firsthand. Where it's like, if you can sell a joke without any visuals, yeah. <clears throat> it's going to hit. Yeah. Then it's like you have to be you have to like be cautious in how you sort of like further the jokes, but if you can make someone laugh without them seeing anything, it's yeah. like, that's much harder.
0: It's a ridiculous skill. I don't necessarily have it, but it is my favorite thing. But yeah, I, I became obsessed because, like, you know, I got some of these passed down to me, and I would listen to them obsessively. I'd memorize the seven words that you can't say on television, all that stuff, and it just, I realized comedy was something I had to do. And I, I became
1: obsessed with it. Were your parents, are your parents in no. comedy at all? No.
0: No, my mom started a theater company when she was in high school, but
1: after that didn't do anything. Were okay. you around though for when the theater company? Mm-mm. Oh, wow. No, no. So you never performed though. Did you act in I, high school?
0: Uh, no, not really. No, I wanted to. A Did you write bit. sketch? Yes, okay. a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I made a, a shitty little album when I was in high school, just out of high school, and put that out when mp3.com was a thing. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I didn't, this is weird. I didn't even know MP3 I didn't even know MP3 dot com was a thing. It was a thing at one point. Yeah. What does that even mean? You, you could you all could, MP3s,
0: anything in MP. Basically, you put your content up there. You could you could advertise and sell your albums to people. They would buy them and pretend you had an album. How old were you fun. when you put this out? Nineteen. And how many did you sell? How many did you sell? Oh, probably north of five.
1: Say, <laughs> so, hey, you know, people you knew.
0: Or <laughs> you uh, worth? no. Weirdly enough, that's incredible. Yeah, but- people like across. Like we were big hit in Australia. Oh really? Don't big. I mean, relatively four. speaking, four, four well, albums. Talk. Did you really sell four I, albums in Australia? I don't know if it was, but that should was our find, biggest should downloaders. Go those, should
1: go back, find those <laughs> metrics. I should I report should. back when in the internet age. You can find all should, that. I'm sure. Sure it's short still. Yeah. mp 3com that does, isn't around.
0: Not really. It's not the same thing. It's uh, more like a Napster. More like so it's illegal. I'm, is, so I is, is, I'm so old. I said Napster. Is large? No. I Napster is Napster,
1: but it's not a you know. Lars org didn't sue them. They weren't that big. That's true. Like, yeah. They're no Napster <laughs> um, So I'm going to keep prying Wait so This is my turn now uh-huh. Making you comfortable Or uncomfortable This uh-huh. is what I want to do In your own house I'm such I a, love talking about myself I mean it's I'm not okay. a gracious guest <laughs> um, Wait so you Do you write television or sketch? Yes Both?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Alright You know All comedic though Yes Okay
0: Yeah I mean I, I wrote uh, I, did, I did write oddly enough For one comedian I wrote a drama I wrote a, sh- a, f- a fucking horror movie But yeah was yeah. it good? You I liked it?
1: it. I liked it. Yeah. That was a feature though. It was gross. That was a movie. Yeah. It was okay. really gross. Yeah, but I think that's the thing I love, I love most about, I'm a huge this is horror fan. I know the return, like, people who are listening this don't care about horror. Oh, well, they might. I'm pissing. They it was really weird <laughs> talking about being a really gross guest. Um but I think that, like, horror movies and comedy, like, share mm-hmm. so many similarities. I don't For know if sure. you saw that movie You're next, but it was, like, one of the funniest movies oh, not of this year, and not in the traditional mm-hmm. sense, but you were so on guard where when, like, there was one character in particular, like, anytime he spoke, he was just so funny where, like... It made the movie bearable because yeah. it's it's a family trapped in a house just getting killed. So like, <laughs> I mean, it's Christ. so dark. It's a, it's channeling that darkness in a very different way. Where a lot of yeah. comedians, when you were saying, just like to make people uncomfortable. Sure. Like, but I understand how a funny person could write. Mm-hmm. I'm not the biggest fan of his movies, but Eli Roth, for example, yeah. is a very funny guy, yeah. from what I hear. Yeah. So it just writes these disgusting,
0: uh-huh.
1: violent. There are demons he's working on. Yeah. There were demons
0: I was working on making that script. Uh, Don't ever need to write it again. <laughs> something like that again? You get those good. demons out. Yeah. All right. Yeah, yeah. I did.
1: Yeah, it's good. So, what were your biggest? Because you you were deep in comedy. What were your biggest influences? You probably talked about this on your. Not really. All right. We'll so, what are your biggest influences? Mm, well, Cheech and Chong for sure. Oh yeah, but so, but I'm talking about when you were in. High school. Oh, when I and was you were watching high school? stuff
0: because I imagine that's when you started writing. That is when I started writing. Um, let's see, Kids in the Hall was very big, but it was not highly available because we didn't have we didn't get. I lived in a town of about 200 people, so what,
1: where? Uh, upstate
0: it? New York. Okay, very tiny. So we our cable was still limited. So by the time we got Comedy Central, I was almost out of high school. So all the good shit was had passed me by. Mm-hmm. I have n- I have never seen Mr. Show. I'm going to say, you need to actually. As a- <sighs> that's one. That's a show. I, a couple sketches. My mom has seen that show because after I left, we got HBO. So and she had to watch it. Fan of Mr. My show? mom's a fan of, of Mr. Show. And I love those guys. I
1: love everything they do. But you I've should never watch seen show. You should watch it. I mean, for me, that was the most. That actually, comedy specials aside, I'd like go back and come up with a bunch of bullshit to say about comedy specials. Mm-hmm. And I do love everything I talked about. and Chris Rock and Chappelle are probably the two best comedians or at least like most influential in a very strange mm-hmm. way like what actually inspired me sure from stand-up <laughs> yeah but uh from a stand-up perspective but mr show i when i found that i was in high school i was just smoking weed every single day mm-hmm. i was i didn't give a shit about anything i barely i went to school but like i didn't care about sure. it like i'm lucky i even got into college i ended up doing yeah. well afterwards but in high school i would literally just smoke weed every day and rewatch every episode of mr show yeah it was like the most important thing and i would bond with people like i would make all all the all of my friends based off of who would watch mr show yeah yeah yeah. and get high with me of course but i mean you go back and watch it now and like the first season there's a couple great the first two seasons there are a couple sketches that work but it feels a little dated yeah but those i mean and it's you know dino stamatopoulos who is one of the funniest people i in my entire life like if he didn't i mean like if he weren't alive i don't even think i would even be interested in sure comedy sure like that those the third and fourth season of that show in particular were the most inspirational things for me like there's i mean you don't know the sh- the show well enough so i don't i right. won't go on I and really on about can't different believe I sketches that on the podcast um but you should go back that's really unacceptable you should go back I and uh I understand how did you not so you haven't gone we back. did not have hbo at the time but okay. dvds have come out DVDs, since dvds have been invented yes
0: that is true you yeah. make a strong point but I was in high school. I had no interest in, in what was out at the time. I was doing what I'm doing now, studying old comedy. Mm-hmm. Not an excuse necessarily, but since then I have just not had the need to go back and watch it. I know that at some point I will sit down, watch it, feel bad for having never seen it, and then go on with my life. Hopefully not kill myself. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, I would hope not. Yeah. That'd be a really sad... <laughs> I do have a friend who's going to lend them to me. I really can't believe I'm admitting you this should. You do
1: You do need to go. I mean, because you would... You, there were so many more people you would recognize from comedy in this for w- sure. world for sure
0: no and I, and I
1: know at it this point it would just make I'll... a lot more sense the past 10 years I think would make a lot more sense right
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's reasonable. I mean, I love everybody who's on the show. Yeah. All of big course. fans. None of them will come on my show. Maybe it's because I haven't seen Mister Show. Not you that can I get Dino on. I. Yeah. I'm sure you can he can does want to come on. Actually. He yeah. Does. I'm sure. Dino I, would you know. Come speaking on. of him, and Dino
1: a, would go crazy for like old records. Like, yeah, what... yeah. Yeah.
0: There's one album he wants to talk about, and only one. He won't talk about any other. What's that record? Uh, we've already done it, but we're gonna do it again. Um, Albert Brooks, A Star Is Bought. It's a good album. It's a very good album. He loves it. but He doesn't want to
1: talk about any others. So, really? It's funny, yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. I mean, his perspective on it will be different. I'm sure. Then who talked about that first? Who got it first?
0: Uh, Cole Stratton, who co-hosts Pop My Culture podcast. Awesome guy. Brilliant guy.
1: He took that. He took that record. He stole though. it. He stole it. it. come on head, Go head to head. I've thought about it actually. I did think about. it. I did think about that wisdom. I don't know what you win. <laughs> the
0: other thing about Dino too is a bath mat.
1: Outside of your apartment, you can just give it to that is whoever that is knows the most about that record. A disgusting
0: bath mat that is not <laughs> mine. Uh, you came into the smell of somebody's gross bat mat, bath will, mat and
1: stale pot. I will say you have two, not just one, but two beautiful-looking vacuum cleaners. Thank you very much. Nice. One of them
0: is a rug cleaner. Oh, okay. So they're, they're, it's not redundant entirely.
1: It does make sense. Yeah. It does. It's acceptable. Those are... <laughs> That's acceptable. What
0: were you asking? Uh, no, we weren't. No, no, no. Your no. You're cleaner. still talking about me, and, I, and now I feel weird. No, I'm, I'm comfortable.
1: And, uh... <laughs> I told you. I like turning those tables. <laughs> Give me a chance.
0: No, the thing about Dino is that's another big influence on me was Conan. And, you know, since he wrote for Conan, he, create, he created a word that people don't realize was created. They invented the term crunk before it was a, a rap it's- term.
1: Is that actually true, though? Yes. So on, they wanted to a create sketch? a fake
0: swear word that they could say on air, and they said, we can't get in trouble for this, because it's not real. And apparently Dino was was uh, critical in the creation of that. And they created it, and it's now a word. Now, some people say they were created separately. That can happen. I don't, uh, I don't
1: give a fuck. It's, indirectly, though, to have that... I absolutely. Mean, to, to try to come up with a fake curse, or like to come yes. up with a curse word mm-hmm. that can be on TV, and for- then th- years later... People just start saying that yeah. every single place you go, like, that must have been that's a surreal
0: experience. It's a fucking amazing thing. And yeah, and that's that, th- just that kind of pop culture impact is enough to put them in the annals of comedy history. You yeah. Know? Even if they hadn't done great shit afterwards. You know? Totally. I, I could not agree with you more. So back to you. Back to me. Okay. So let's go back to your influences, or at least Chris Rock is an influence. Yeah. Is, can you feel a. Anything particular about his influence on you, or is it just in general this wave of Chris Rock went through you?
1: I mean, for me, growing up, he was such an influential person. I mean, Mm -hmm. he was marginalized in a lot of ways, which is how I really feel like his influence was strongest before he got really famous up until Bring the Pan. It really feels like the story of Rocky to me. Mm -hmm. You know, from not being given many opportunities to do roles on saturday night live Mm -hmm. except for obviously like the black character right um and he was always so funny on it Mm -hmm. and like nat x from that period of time like that's who i remember the most yeah um and i used to watch saturday night live every single week then Mm -hmm. um up and up through like pookie because i was like i was like new jack city i saw with my brother Uh we went he went opening night and he was probably 12 was way too young to see New Jack City <laughs> holy shit got so scared or his friend got so scared we went with where they had to leave and then they took me a week later to go see it and I was 10 I had no business oh seeing God. New Jack City but Pookie it was like Chris Rock like I knew him yeah, yeah. and then this role which was like pretty amazing intense role for a guy who I just thought was a comedian Yeah. like that shaped a lot seeing him sort of like play this really dramatic role then CB4 was like one of my favorite movies I know nobody in the world <laughs> really cared for it but again it was a very it was like a personal movie yeah to me like I grew up loving and listening to N.W.A. okay um I didn't know anything about L.A. and it was like one of the first like I guess with the exception of like Boys in the Hood and Menace Society you're learning a lot about me and what my actual influences are I like it but it was, like, one of the first few, like, L.A. movies that I really, really experienced. And yeah. I didn't even have any idea. I didn't know what L.A. was like. Sure. I had, no, I had no idea that I'd ever even moved here. I was from Washington, D.C. I was from, like, a suburb in Washington. Right. Um. Through, so, this guy who nobody really cared about, he had a couple, like, marginal comedy specials that I actually remember seeing but not really caring about mm-hmm. before. And then, like, when that came on, that special, like, the main thing was... It was seeing a guy who was always, like, important to me, mm-hmm. but then just become the best. Sure. Out of nowhere. Yeah. Like, I mean, and he's talked about it, and I've heard people tell stories about where everyone was like, you know, he was like, I'm never going to be a, a famous actor. And my career sure. is almost, it's going to, it's potentially, it's like, it's yeah. over if I go in that direction of writing movies. Right. I just got to become the best at what I can do. And when you see that special, when you just wa- watch him walk up, they're like, okay, there's idea. a confidence to it. Uh-huh. But... I don't even think he knows exactly what he's doing at the time that special was sure. shot. Like he commands that stage, but it's Definitely. a really small audience compared uh-huh. to every other. It's a some true. theater in Tacoma. Mm-hmm. It's it's Like, even because the the next special he did it was um uh it's what I confused this with. Like Ted, you watched the wrong special. At least I because Bring the Pain was first, and uh-huh. then, oh, Bigger and Blacker, Bigger and Blacker. Like the the jump between from Bigger and Blacker from Bring the Pain he wrote that book mm-hmm. he did Bigger he, he did Bigger and Black and was like I think that was in a Madison Square Garden but it was at a huge massive yeah. massive theater I mean it's like that's a story that I love the most like watching somebody that I cared so much about just it's like in a sense it's like Louis yeah you yeah. know it was a guy who i had always followed just because of the you know the Chris Rock show sure uh, Conan um uh, Hootie Tang, he directed, which uh-huh. again was a thing. Yeah. Another like yeah. was at that point in time. I mean, it was one of the funny. It was a, probably when I saw that, I I had not laughed so hard in my entire life. I haven't rewatched it yeah. in years, uh-huh. but it held such an important place. And like you know, part of it was I was so high sure. in high school. That's fine, and that was like they go hand in hand. I think yeah. it was. I, I don't even remember the movie so much. But I remember like Louis C.K. directing this I was so in into it and then Louis C.K. sort of did that misstep with it, the yeah. that special but then now like When On The Road is now yeah. probably the best living stand-up like it's yeah. so tight for him to do a new hour every single year <laughs> it's, it's, fucking it's unbelievable now he's winning Emmys yeah and it's like that's a story that really oh, God, inspires me yeah. the most where it's like I don't know if they necessarily have an influence on me necessarily it's uh-huh. really hard for Chris Rock for me to say with a straight face that Chris Rock has had it influenced the type of stuff. Sure, sure, sure. Okay, yeah. That I, that I do and work on, but... I, like, I the, the the story of him just sort of, you know... Really, like, fucking, I just gotta master this. Mm-hmm. I've realized I've sort of tapped out in this capacity right now.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I can't, like, I've gone as far as I can, so I just gotta become the best that I... Uh, the be- I have to be the best that I can possibly be at this other thing. Yeah. And then I can own, like, then he... He's been like he started acting a lot more. He started directing a lot more. Right. Now Louis can have any role he wants. It's insane. Which is like he plays one role. Yeah, it's okay, but and he does that really well. But yeah. it's like,
0: and he's such a good fucking director too. I know on it's top crazy. Of that, I, I hate it. I, I, I'm jealous of it. I mean, so yeah,
1: I don't know if there was an actual like you know personal, other than the fact that it's like I've always been real. Like I mean, even just working on the Eric Andre show, it's like I really just am drawn. I think that like I eric hannibal Mm -hmm. like the lucas brothers gerard carmichael Mm -hmm. like uh ron funchus those are like some of like the people i think are the funniest out there right now and i think there is this amazing wave of like young black comedians who aren't talking about race Mm -hmm. it is a sort of like it's it's one of the things i thought was so incredible about working with eric and hannibal in that first season but it's like race is never mentioned there's a talk show like two black hosts and we're at a point where we don't even need to talk about race anymore right Right, and I think that's what a lot of like, cause, you know, a lot of young black comedians are doing now. The Lucas Brothers, in particular, I don't yeah. know if you're familiar with them, mm-hmm. but there's so much interesting stuff going on. and It's always been drawn. It's weird. I feel like I have like after this, people are going to think I have some like weird obsession with <laughs> black culture. It's okay though, if you do.
0: Yeah. Well, did you grow up in a diverse part? I mean, obviously
1: We're... DC is diverse, but DC is very diverse, but I mean, a suburb sort of, I mean. When I was growing up, it, me and my brother, we uh, we lived in, we grew up in Georgetown, which is, okay. I mean, DC. This is probably one of the reasons. DC is one of the most segregated yeah. cities in America, where there's there's four quadrants. Mm-hmm. Northwest is almost primarily upper middle class and white, mm-hmm. and then the surrounding suburbs outside are like you know in Maryland or Virginia, but then the the other three quadrants of DC are real are they it's it's changing it's getting better but especially when i was growing up it was like really poor and it was african-american yeah and growing up like i i i i knew i knew that existed and also like realized how unfair mm-hmm. and crazy it was that there was such a, like a strange distribution of wealth mm-hmm. um especially like in the city itself so i mean me and my brother we had our we had a woman who lived with us and her nephew came and visited. He was this Filipino guy from uh, Minnesota. hmm His name was Chris And He was probably like 10, uh, nine years old. My brother's probably 11, and I remember he really introduced us. He gave us our first copy of like South Central Cartel. Uh-huh. And oh And NWA. Um... And all of these, other, like, and then we started really getting to, like, DJ Quick. Like, this could turn into, like, I don't know why, <laughs> still, like, DJ Quick and Second to None. And, you know, I would argue with my friend Dayton Harden. We, in fifth grade, we would argue over who was better, mm-hmm. NWA or the Ghetto Boys. Mm-hmm. And I always argued NWA, and he argued the Ghetto Boys. And in retrospect, I think he was probably right. So, Dayton, if you're listening to Ghetto Boys, I finally can <laughs> concede this. Um, but yeah, I just had this, like, I, it's what. For I don't know I, I I can't say that it's like like rap music just spoke to me in some very strange way and yeah. I I I still haven't figured it out like as a upper middle class white kid from Washington D C sure. why that is mm-hmm. but has it influenced I mean it's obviously a big
0: part of you has it influenced your comedy that you can feel I keep asking has this influenced your yeah. comedy but do you is it in a way
1: that you can feel or see or hear <laughs> yeah <laughs> yes and no, because it's such a specific, strange experience that I've yeah, had, yeah. but I don't know. I don't know the tangible ways, yeah, yeah. With which I think, like you know, I think it's all it's all subtext and helps form who you actually become. If I were to just start doing like really racially based, mm-hmm. it would be pretty right. strange and inauthentic, and sure. probably. I mean, I, I, it would be horrible. <laughs> so I try to stay away from. I try to stay away from that. Yeah, but. I mean, it's like, on a personal level, it's just what I I listen to. Like, I started sure. listening to indie rock music. I found out about Pavement. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you're familiar with the band sure. Pavement. Mm-hmm. I found out about Pavement. Like, I, don't, I I did not know that there was good, like, rock music until I was uh sophomore in college. Mm-hmm. So I'd have been 19 or 20 years old, and I found out about this group, and I became obsessed with Pavement, but they'd been broken up for four and a half, five years. So right. I was like the lamest person in the world, and suddenly I got so interested and invested, but only at, at the time where I could see, like, Stephen Malcolmus do, like, his mediocre solo projects. Uh-huh. Yeah, really into that. Um And then I steadily got into... uh this is, this is a music podcast, right?
0: Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. That's but no, I mean. I, and I started
1: getting into, you know... And I started getting into a lot more rap, rock music. And then I ended up moving to Atlanta with my brother. Mm-hmm. He worked at Adult Swim. I worked for this amazing woman who's now at Disney. Her name's Kaki Jones. Um, she was the first person who ever hired me out of college. We lived in Atlanta. And then, like, we were, like, you know, working in cartoons in Atlanta. We just started hanging out with a lot of rappers. Yeah. So we got a lot... We got that's awesome deeper in that world mm-hmm. and i like, started hanging out with like just the most amazing people out there um and we're lucky to be in atlanta at a time where like there was a really big resurgence in like southern rap music so right we were, like we were there from sort of not the beginning but probably like a couple years into it and everyone loved that we worked in cartoons and we loved the music that they were making so yeah. like it was it was like a pretty symbiotic relationship that we all had together and then you did a project that mixed the two. Yes, I, my my brother created, but that uh, mm-hmm. the Freak Nick, Yeah, Yeah, yeah. Um, with T Pain. Mhm. And yeah, I helped my brother out with that, and that was like it was that was the way that we were really able to meld those two worlds. And you know, Pain was so excited. That's awesome. About being a part, he is just a he's so funny mm-hmm. and is such a genuine fan of comedy mm-hmm. and loves Adult Swim so much. That's awesome. Yeah, and it's like it's everybody though when they find out. That, you, that we were involved with cartoons, when they would find out that we were involved in cartoons, they would just, like, go crazy.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, did you... You know, it's it's funny, because it... To first... When I when I was first told about China, Illinois, and I'm, I am I had to look it up, and, you know, again, I don't watch as much TV as I should. Okay. But, you know, the, the pitch is that it's the reverse of Animal House, etc., etc., etc. Watching it, it still doesn't have any recognizable anything, which is what makes it more interesting to me that it's
1: very original in that way. That's yeah. very, that's really astute because, so Brad, who I work with on the show, mm-hmm. who does all the drawings and he writes all, he actually, Brad writes all the scripts for it. We have a room of writers where mm-hmm. we write the stories. But Brad, it's what I think makes the show so wonderful and also like, one of the reasons I love working with Brad, his perspective is so unique. Mm-hmm. Brad didn't really have a traditional college experience. Mm-hmm. He was in and out of schools in in, uh, in Arkansas where he's from. Uh-huh. Um, and, I mean, his idea of what college is is just, like, high school for adults. Yeah. It's yeah. super high school, where <laughs> the dean is, like, sort of America's father. It's Hulk Hogan, right. the most masculine alpha <laughs> male in the world. And it's, like, the least academic mm-hmm. show possible. When I, I went to Tufts University in, in Medford, Massachusetts, and I had, like, that my college experience is like, fairly traditional in yeah. that respect. And so the goal is to just not treat, and I think it's what makes the show special, there's nothing recognizable about college except for the, cl- the fact that there are classes. Sure. There is a campus. Uh-huh. And it's like teachers fuck their students, which I imagine probably happens sure, that probably. Happens. In some in some college campuses. Right. Androids and fewer of them though. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so that's like there, there really is nothing. It's not ground. it's it's grounded in like human experience, sure. but not grounded in any like traditional college. It's not animal house in that respect. Right. Right. Um, yeah, the teachers are crazier, but now we since we've expanded to half hours, the students are crazier as well. It's Hannibal Burris is one of the students. He's the All-American athlete. This guy Ryan Flynn is incredible. Um, he's been in a bunch of stuff. Uh, I think he worked for Fuel TV for a while. Uh-huh. He plays this nerd character in this sort of like... Um, guy who just wants to be real tough mm-hmm. um and then you know chelsea pretty plays some students and yeah. she's amazing brooke hogan plays a bunch of students nice. and is unbelievable in the show actually we really we brought her in because hulk um was like you should bring my daughter in she's great you uh-huh. know you'll you'll you know she's she's a terrific voice actor she really wants to get into this And we're like well we have to bring her in she's sure hulk's daughter of and, course we ended up bringing her in for season one, and she did this. She, we brought her in to do a voice just to see how she could do. We gave her a tour of the the studio, and she was so unbelievable. Like she genuinely awesome. just floored us. Yeah. So when you know that happened right before we got a second season, mm-hmm. so we're like we just got to bring Brooke in. Like we had we had no real like big characters in mind for. Her, right. But just as a utility player to do all like a lot of different female voices. That's awesome. She has incredible range. Like people can't even believe within an episode that she's doing two or three voices sometimes. Yeah. Um, But now the students are able to also do, like, some pretty scandalous stuff.
0: Is it freeing or more difficult or a little bit of both to work with very few existing stereotypes? It's as though there are stereotypes in it that don't exist in our world but definitely exist in its world. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's like, clearly, this is a thing that exists but only there.
1: Yeah, and I think that's sort of, again, it's one of the things one of the reasons brad and i work so well together where it's like his perspective is so strange like the thing like the, the accepted knowledge in this world yeah. and the things that we try to the sacred cows that we try to take down are like the beach boys <laughs> it's counter service at restaurants is an idea we talk about all the time there's one episode where steve uh, one of the one of the two main brothers who are they he's the head of the history department mm-hmm. he just doesn't understand why everyone thinks it Toy Movie 3, Toy Story 3 in our world. But Toy uh-huh. Movie 3 is so popular and why everyone loves it. like, yeah, it's a fine movie, but it's 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 for kids. It's about toys and super... It's really colorful. It's not the best movie of the year. And so we try to take down Toy Movie 3 and the people that... Or Toy Story 3 and the people that love it. So it's like, those are the kind of things that are un- so unique to Brad mm-hmm. that I... Th- that I just like, I would love to glom onto them because he's like, well, every that's accepted knowledge. Is it even interesting? It's like, no, no, no. <laughs> These things we're talking about are not accepted knowledge. This is so unique yeah. and funny that we got to just go with it.
0: Yeah.
1: Um. So yeah, I don't know if I answer the question about like the stereotypes themselves, but I think the yeah. the worldview itself is so unique to the show because, it's like you know South Park. Matt and Trey have their own sure. ideas that nobody else like their own, their their point of view is so different and unique. Mm-hmm. Like the things that they talk about, especially pop culture related, are things that they are trying to take down mm-hmm. that nobody else even might care about before they see it. And so we try to do that in our own way as well. It's not necessarily, you know, pop culture mm-hmm. satire in a lot of ways. It's more about Americana, right? Right. That's sort of like the like those are the bigger ideas that we want to sort of go after.
0: Is that? <clears throat> Shit, sorry.
1: Is that easier? Does it, does is it easier to, to be as free? <laughs> I think so. I do because I think you know when you're going after a lot of pop culture stuff, mm-hmm. it's about the moment you're in. Yeah. For us, it's more freeing because I think for the, you know we do touch on like big pop cultural like tentpole things, mm-hmm. but. It's it's a lot more evergreen when we can just go after these big blanket things that for nobody sure. really necessarily is even. Toy, Toy Story three came out three years ago, Right but now we're going after it. Yeah, the Beach Boys. I don't think anybody's thought of the Beach Boys in twenty years, right? Except for maybe didn't Adam Levine do a Beach Boys thing, maybe. the Grammys a couple years ago? Sure. Something huh. Adam Levine might be the only person to care about the Beach Boys <laughs> in the past twenty years. Um, but yeah, I do think it's more freeing just because. We don't need to be concerned, about, like, what's big in the moment right now? Mm-hmm. We're in animation, like, you know, a lot of people will come up to us and be like, Well, what about South Park? They put these episodes out in, you know, six days essentially. Yeah. And yeah, they can get that the the benefit of that is they get to do pop culture stuff. Mm-hmm. But for us it takes a year. Mm-hmm. We've been doing like the first episode premiered in October. It was October twenty second and we were essentially started we started the process, the writing process in January of of uh 2012. Shit. So it took a year and a half Shit. to get everything off the ground mm-hmm. to do it. I and mean, then we did the the first season of the Eric Andre show when I was working on that show. We did ten episodes in four months.
0: Yeah. Four and a half months we were yeah. done editing.
1: Yeah. And it was up on the air. It was like that was a real like live action is obviously stressful in a lot of ways. Sure. There's a lot of t- there's the time pressure. But I mean it takes so long where we have to do stuff. We can't bet on like a big pop cultural thing happening now. So it is more right. fun because we don't need to worry about like what's going to be big in the moment. Sure. Yeah. And I think South Park has changed the perspective. A lot of people have on animation because there's, it's such a big show mm-hmm. that they do go after like whatever is happening right in that second. Yeah. And the Simpsons I think does that as well, even though the time constraints are much different. Like they do, it's whether it's the guest stars they have, mm-hmm. you know, we don't have that luxury.
0: Right. Right. Do you, okay so if you were going to recommend this there's something wrong with my throat if you're going to recommend this to somebody who didn't know Chris Rock maybe or didn't know early Chris Rock mm-hmm. what how do you condense it into a couple sentences and why this would be important to listen to I think you've already said it but let's condense it yeah I
1: yeah, cause when I did said it I took 7,000 hours <laughs> I think I've been here for four, for 14 years right now um, I mean the, the most the biggest thing is like I mean if you just want to watch a guy transform from like good to great mm-hmm this is probably the most representative comedy special I've ever seen of that. Yeah. You know, Eddie Murphy was always big. Sure. In SNL. because like, the, the only other special I would compare it to, just in terms, was Delirious was before Raw, right? I can't remember. I right think Delirious now. was... I, I think and you're and right. Now we I both sound right. ignorant. You have to edit this out okay. if I'm wrong. But, <laughs> I mean, that was the thing, where, But he was still the biggest thing on SNL at that moment. Mm-hmm. Chris Rock, this was like his... It felt like it felt like Rocky. Yeah, It really, yeah. like, watching him go out there and just knock everyone out mm-hmm. was such an important... Like, I could tell, as a 15-year-old with pneumonia, Yeah, I yeah. could tell how he had just raised his game up. And for me, it doesn't explain why the is so important, but it's, like, the most inspirational thing in the world to me to just watch mm-hmm. somebody who's gone, who has always been okay and that was, like, a personal favorite to be everyone's favorite. Yeah. Like, I knew that this was... And I didn't know anything. But I knew, like, the game had changed. And also, it holds up. I mean, the whole special's about Mary and Barry and the Million Man <laughs> March. Right, right. And there's uh, a lot of Bill Clinton mm-hmm. stuff in there. Yeah. Actually, no, it was... Yeah, there's a bunch of Bill Clinton stuff in there. Mm-hmm. Especially about, like, getting the, like, the blowjobs. Yeah. Like, yeah. cheating. Right. Um, but, I mean, it's... I, going back and watching it, like, it still holds up. Mm-hmm. This last bit he does... And this is the best part of the whole special to I me. And we tried to we've tried to mimic this in China in one scene. Mm-hmm. But when Chris Rock does that whole bit about a girl finding out that you've been cheating mm. and then holds it against you forever, where uh-huh. you have to have now you have a phone where you're calling, you're checking in every seven seconds, and he does this bit where he's like checking in with his girl while he's like you know he's the police are after him and then he's shot and then he's back home. But the way he ends it is he just throws his microphone down. <laughs> he just throws it yeah and it's so like he knows he won yeah it's like his k-o yeah. punch and it is like it, you, you you watch and you're off for a second mm-hmm. i mean even just for the last that last bit that last like eight minute bit it's worth watching it's like to see a guy master just an art mm-hmm. like that that to me is the most important part about it
0: and i think it's actually uh it would uh, just to put in my own thing, is that I was a person who was not impressed with him up until then. I didn't care. I'd mostly seen one in Living Color where they used him even worse than they used him anywhere else. It didn't work. And then when I saw that special, I'm like, oh fuck, this guy, was he doing this the whole time? Clearly he wasn't. Clearly this was, like you said, this is him stepping up. But, yeah, that it worked for somebody who really loved him and for somebody who didn't care, like that at the same time it all comes together, and clearly this
1: guy's a genius. Yeah, know? and it was the first one, like you go back and watch the earlier stuff and it just doesn't hold up. Because yeah. everything I had referenced earlier... I know isn't great. Mm-hmm. I probably even back then knew it yeah. wasn't great, mm-hmm. but I was a kid, so I like sure. it's what appealed to me. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't you don't need to have good taste when you're a kid. No, I knew objectively this was something special that I was watching at that yeah. time, and I mean to go back and watch it. I was thinking about this now. Like '96 was his first big year. Mm-hmm. He has been. So famous, yeah. Because every like, seventeen years, yeah, it's a long time Gross. to be on. That's I know insane. it's like there's been ups and downs, obviously, sure, like some sure. of the movies, but to be on top for that long, mm-hmm. it's pretty. That's pretty impressive, yeah. And it all started <clears throat> there. So I mean, if, for somebody that's not familiar necessarily with his body of with his comedic body of work, obviously, you probably know who Chris Rock is because he's in a bunch of movies. Like, if you want to see where it really started, like this is the this is where to watch it. This is why to watch. That's why you should watch it. That's awesome.
0: So. All right, You plug the show, but plug it
1: again. Plug
0: plug Twitter, plug websites, everything. Yeah,
1: China, Illinois, uh, Adult Swim, Sundays at 11.30pm. Adult Swim is on the Cartoon Network. Mm -hmm. It won't read Adult Swim on your cable box. Mm -hmm. So, go to Cartoon Network, Adult Swim, 11.30, Sunday night, China, Illinois. Do it with my best friend and partner, Brad Neely. I'm the luckiest person in the world. Um, Twitter, D. Weidenfeld. Instagram, D. Weidenfeld. You said to plug stuff. So I to did. Plug everything. Do it. That's pretty much That's it. All right. Yeah. Thank you so much for doing this, man.
0: Thank you. This just, was a lot of fun.
1: I talked a lot. That's, that's what
0: you're supposed to do. I didn't get to dig deep enough into you. And uh, now. fine. You can come on again and just interview me. Yeah. That's fine. All right. I'm into it next time. When you're ready to do that, let's do it.
1: <laughs> this is a lot of fun, man. Yeah, thank thank you, man. you so much. Appreciate Everybody, you.
0: please watch the show. And as always, have a good thing. Comedy on Vinyl is a production of Stolen Dress Entertainment. It is produced by Mike Warden and is hosted and edited by Jason Klom. Visit stolendress.com to listen to our other podcasts, read our blogs, read our tweets, watch our videos, and read our books. Please subscribe on iTunes, rate us highly, and write your reviews. You can follow us on Facebook.com slash comedyonvinyl and Twitter at comedyonvinyl.
1: found a at the bottom of the pot. Tim Nolan, he got ripping mad, his eyes were bulging out. He jumped upon the piano, and loudly he did shout. Who threw the overalls in Mrs. Murphy's chowder? Nobody spoke, though so he shouted all the louder.